And you know what's amazing, everyone, is that they are 30 minutes apart from that intro, but that was seconds ago for us. We're time travelers. We're time travelers. I hope that you enjoyed all that. It's very exciting. We're looking very forward to everyone hearing Coffee and Cowls, and uh, that's, that's all very good. Roman... thoughts on batman three jokers though and because you haven't heard our thoughts yet Django and i both liked it a lot <clears throat> ah okay well good because i liked <laughs> it a lot too can um, you unpack what you liked or didn't like about it what'd you give it did you what did no, you, no, stuff you particularly liked no that was it i liked it yeah cool this is why they show up for us this is why they show up <laughs> yeah. for us those boys less and less energy fewer fewer yeah. opinions i don't know you people you know if you like batman read it you know if you like the joker whatever there's three of them no. <laughs> tune in a few um, more episodes we'll tell you how it ends yeah absolutely absolutely uh i imagine in eight weeks we'll be talking about the last one yeah i i really this is my new favorite black label book high um, bar the one the one thing i gotta ask you guys since you'll probably know technically was this supposed to be like a black label book, like the size of the question book? No, thank God, no. Okay, well, I was wondering because maybe I'm just getting real old, but it, the, the text was hard for me to read. It seemed like it was smaller than it needed to be the fonts or something. Did you guys know that? I think you're that? just getting old. I think okay, you're yeah, just, just getting old. All right, yeah. Well, good. I had an eye exam a couple weeks ago, so. I'm looking at it again, and the fonts are smaller than I would expect. I didn't notice it when I was reading it, but I. I think uh, Roman's Roman doesn't need another eye exam. <laughs> good, good. So yeah, good. Okay. So yeah, it reminded me of, you know, sometimes we get those graphic novel translations of European books uh -huh. and, and they're hard to read because the, the translation, the edition it like in Europe was probably published to a larger size. No, you're totally right. I'm seeing like these news broadcasts of which there are many um, yeah. had pretty small font. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was my only complaint because it was, it was hard for me to weed. Oh, um, <laughs> so you like the whole mystery being set up? You like the three jokers? Do you like the way they interplay off one another? I do. I like, you know, I like the, um, the pacing, the whole thing. I liked how it started off Bruce and the wounds and stuff. I'm, you know, I'm curious that, and I, you know, I kind of like the fact that it's not set to a specific time, but Alfred's alive in it. And yeah. You know, everybody's in their older costumes except for Red Hood. Um, yep. And that was cool. The mystery was great. You know, I like Batgirl's in my favorite Batgirl costume. I mean, yep. everything was cool. And I really like since, you know, we're doing the Batman and Quarantine podcast, I couldn't help but think of that because this Three Jokers thing kind of definitely has echoes of Morrison's ideas about the, you know, the Joker changing his, his personality. Mm -hmm every so often adapting to the world and you know this makes me feel like it's th the three main like joker incarnations are all existing at the same time brought to meet yeah yeah the criminal the comedian and the the clown i i forget what i was gonna say was it something about how gordon's brown mustache does not match with the timeline of Jason's Red Hood? No, I think it was rooted in that line where he says, we, we do what we always do. We build a better Joker. And that felt like a particularly mm -hmm. Morrison line to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. the, <laughs> this, uh, the threads he picks up from Killing Joke. I mean, I, I just love this whole thing. Killing Joke's you know, one of my favorite Batman stories ever. Because you're a pervert. I, yeah, and I love the Joker fish. The, the art was... Uh, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the art by Jason Fabok. That it's, yeah, it's like yeah, you have to do it with the back of your throat like that. Fabok. Um, there was one scene here where Batman's staring into the uh, at the Joker fish in the aquarium. Yeah. And as the panel as the shark approaches him, one of the fish one of the fishies turns and goes across Batman's reflection and makes it look like it suggests that Batman's got a Joker smile himself. Oh. I, I love that panel. <laughs> oh my God. And they brought back, they brought back gag, gaggy. 
and I do believe that when people listen to this podcast, there will be a moment where I say, I wish we had Roman here because there is Gaggy and I'm sure he knows all about him. <laughs> so thank you for uh, validating me. <laughs> um, I would give, boy, it's got at least a nine and a half. Um, nope, nope, nope uh, 10. I heard, oh! it. I heard that gooey duck growing. <laughs> Oh my god, it smells like crabs. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with it? Now it smells like hand sanitizer, Egyptian musk, and crabs. It's a uh, oh, that's that's Egyptian musk is Jango's resting scent. <laughs> you, keep, you, keep, you keep sniffing your fingers, Jango. I mean, we're going to see you pass out here any moment. I'm going to yeah. smell a hole through my hands. Oh god, I sure <laughs> hope so. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Fantastic Four Antithesis number one by Mark Wade and Neil Adams build as a new story from a classic era brought to you by Marvel. And I have not read the Mark <laughs> Wade line of Fantastic Four comics. And this definitely feels like maybe just a story that he wrote that maybe never came out from back then. That, or do you think, I don't know, is this a new story that he was excited to tell? There's a cliffhanger in it. Spoilers, everyone. There's a when cliffhanger was he writing it? Um, probably like early 2000s okay so right around the same time that hickman was doing the ultimate fantastic four and the ff that was quite that was a handful of years after that it was about 10 was years after? later okay yeah, um exactly. i have no concept of time yeah i don't this, know it could have been late 90s though yeah i don't remember exactly early 2000s um it was it was wade and waringo yep did a really good run i think that's the run where they not not Johnny got killed. It was oh, where um, they killed Ben got killed, but they <clears throat> the the rest of the team went to heaven. Oh, and, and met God, and it was Jack Kirby. <laughs> That's not the John Byrne run. No, no, because oh. that was in the eighties. That wasn't the Grant Morrison run. Are you sure that Grant Morrison no. didn't do a dope <laughs> oh, ass no. run on Fantastic? That Four? was Animal Man. Mm, never mind. Oh well, Morrison did do a Fantastic Four miniseries. He did. He did a Fantastic yeah. run on We Three. And other numbered things. <laughs> We're bringing it today, guys. And I love us. I love that about us. Okay, I think I'd like to interesting... apologize to our listeners and our mothers. <laughs> yeah, we really started this one with no gas in the tank. Um, but I think the most interesting thing about this Fantastic Four antithesis story is that Neil Adams did the art. And has he done much Marvel work? Um, God, what has he done? He did Avengers. Oh, and, and he did a... Uh, a run on X-Men. Okay. I think Look after that. the... Oh, yeah, with Chris Claremont. I think, like, the, the first X-Men or something. Or he, he Some, did a thing... Something like that. He he did it, I think, when... I think he uh, he picked it up for a while. The X-Men sales weren't very good. And, like, toward the end of the 60s. And so Marvel started just reprinting old X-Men stories. Mm-hmm. And they were out to cancel it, I think think maybe this is how it goes and then neil adams came on board and i don't know who the writer was but that uh, revived I, interest in it i think claremont yeah and i think was that it claremont then? when we were at the previous store but not the first of the stores um there was a thing called like the next x or, or, or x-men something but it was like chris claremont's x-men story written by claremont if he had you know if it had never stopped coming out or something oh, and uh, i believe neil adams was doing the art in that um, so it's not insane for him to be doing Marvel stuff. I just associate him with no. DC so heavily. But it, it, this is, it's really interesting to see his art style in here. I don't think that the story is very good. Eh, good is weird. It's not an incredibly interesting Fantastic Four story, but the art is sure weird. Neil Adams is sure <laughs> it ain't weird. Thick, but it sure is short. Yeah, like, he's... I, just I'll this weird double page spread of them like yelling at the reader for no reason. Like the tone of the text doesn't fit the imagery at all. And no, and and I I, I got to say I hate the way he draws Ben. Yeah, um, I'm glad that you do. There, he, he does his mouth wrong, bud. He has he just Ben Ben the thing. He has a weird like cartoon face, but it's kind of a jacked up scary cartoon face. <laughs> Yeah, it's really bizarre. I wonder, yeah, Neil Adams, you know, modern day, it's, it's really interesting. He's clearly just like an incredible cartoonist who's maybe just kind of like, he, there's certain things that he does here, like the fluidity of like the backgrounds and, and movement within it is really interesting. But his actual like specific faces and facial expressions and stuff are just 
weird anymore, man. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, his layouts are good, but it's kind of like uh, Ramita Jr. I just feel like he's one of the, you know, they're both old masters of comics that maybe shouldn't be doing monthly books. Yeah. Or maybe are in a transitional phase where they're about to get really weird and interesting. Yeah, you keep saying that about people. Um, I keep hoping that about these guys. Man. <laughs> yeah, I just like, as long as I've been an adult reading comics, Neil Adams has been doing this type of stuff. Yeah. And it would be awesome if he, you know, something happened that was crazy with his art style. But as it stands, it's more, more to me than anything. It's just kind of a novelty to see his artwork anymore. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, this is his take on stuff. And it's just so weird. He has such defined, like, faces Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these Reed Richards faces look exactly like those faces from Batman Odyssey. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got a very specific style. And it's not bad, but it does not match the tone of the writing in this at all. Mm-hmm. And in just a very bizarre way. It's, but, you know, there's this weird scene where Sue is trying to seduce Reed and she gets naked in a willowy, wispy smoke scene. And that was weird. Yeah, I guess <laughs> she, she made her clothes invisible, but they also like flew around or something i don't know <laughs> and there's this scene of like is oh, man, this is good we've got uh ben and johnny are simply up to their own devices which is never good and there's all these signs that say ben with arrows and like johnny is like trying to set up a like a, a giant pie to be shot in his face there's a very weird scene with johnny and ben in here and i don't i don't know what it is that, i that was maybe my favorite scene in the book actually <laughs> I wonder how much of this story was done the Marvel method. That's how it felt to me was like at times like he and Neil were like, all right, this is the story. Now, Neil, you go draw it and then I'll write the text around it because there's just a lot of scenes where the, the, the writing and the art don't seem to mix. And Neil was like, man, fucking Mark Wade, write your way out of this chump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like a classic, you know, Ben and Johnny playing tricks on each other. You know, at this point in my life, I think Neil Adams is a deal breaker for me picking up a new book. If he, if he drew an issue of Batman or, you know, if he, if he drew something that I was in the middle of reading, I wouldn't drop it, but I, I won't pick up a new book because he's on it. Yeah. This was a, like a kind of, they advertised the shit out of this book. It was kind of, it was one of those books they kind of announced to get people excited about coming back into stores during the pandemic. Like yeah. they were like Wade and Neil Adams doing Fantastic Four. And it's, it's a, it's a, you know, <clears throat> any, it's not bad Fantastic Four. I liked this writing wise more than what I've been seeing in like the Dan Slott Fantastic Four. But the art is real, real weird. I would, I would give it a six. Yeah, that seems like a good five or six for me. I, I the, mean, I, re- I really only read it because of Mark Wade. Yeah. And I, yeah, I read it just because I love Fantastic Four. But at this point, I'm also just like, is every story just kind of about how Reed isn't a good husband? <laughs> is it just like all of them? Like, that's not really what the Hickman one is the center of. But it seems like everything else is like, Reed can't give his family attention. It's like, well, that's not a very cool guy that I don't want to really want to read. But the there's a giant meteor coming towards Earth and it lands and it turns out it's actually like a beat up silver surfer and he's got some sort of rot and he's all drawn silver and he's telling us that galactus is dead which seems hard to fathom because he did just die last week in thor in thor <laughs> uh, but this is it does say um you know a new story from a classic era so we have to assume it's sort of a non-time-based yeah. thing yeah I, I think this is set years ago maybe yeah um django on the back of set years ago, the question, Deaths of Vic Sage, a time-traveling epic. Do, I haven't read since the second issue. I really enjoyed the first two. The art is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. How, but there's, there's a lot of lingering questions and a, a, a right proper mystery set up in it. Did it all wrap up? Can I get a spoilery explanation for what happened at the end of this question series? Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting because this one brings him back to the setup from the first issue, which was kind of, uh, there's some political stuff going on in Hub City and he's trying to solve this mystery. Um, It brings us into a hyper-modern situation with some BLM protesters. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And I know that this was being written before that would have been the the first instinct of Jeff Lemire. So that took me out of the story a little bit, hmm. unfortunately. I I, I kind of wish that I was reading this two years from now and didn't have kind of the, the meta narrative of they changed this comic in order to fit closer with um, modern modern things that are going on. That's really interesting because I do remember the first issue, like there was this sort of like on the verge of civil unrest thing going on. Like the politicians were being really dirty and it seemed like things were almost like Watchmen-esque on the verge of collapse. So I wonder if like, yeah. the protests were already happening and now they just sort of like changed the signage for it. Yeah, stop killer cops, when will it end BLM, no justice, no peace, say his name. Hmm. Like I... I like that it's in there, but I don't like knowing for sure that this was written before that and, and kind of tagged on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I have kind of mixed feelings about that. The rest of it had, had a good sort of explanation of who the political monster is behind everything. Spoiler. It's maybe a devilish kind of character who's been messing with Vic Sage since the beginning, like when he was uh, an orphan. Is that like what this was about? You know, because as far as I knew, it was like he kind of went back in time and there was this hole where question bodies were showing up. And like, what, could, could you give me the like top, top looking down summary of like, hey, this is the story of blank in 30 seconds? No, okay. I don't think that they really wrapped it up. But I don't think that they wrapped that portion of it up super well. It kind of reminded me of Grant Morrison's Gothic, where there's a devilish character and weird things are happening and you never really are sure if it's weird kind of demonic coincidence or actual devil kind of things. Or like, I, I don't know how much of that other stuff, uh, the question or Vic Sage kind of hallucinated and how much of it actually happened to him. I don't know. What, what did you read on that, Roman? Yeah, that it didn't really answer those questions. Ah. Um, <laughs> but I but I did really like that when we do see a glimpse of this um devil evil, it's a, it's a those are the Sinkevich demons mm -hmm. demon face right there. I like I like that. Um but overall it did kind of wrap up in a kind of anticlimactic in a way just because you know, it wraps up with the um, thank you, with Vic Sage. Kind of just, it was too easy. It kind of wraps up with him. He's he's reaffirmed his mission, and he's like, "I'm the question, and what I do is fight evil." Here we go. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I thought there was a lot more metaphysical, philosophical questioning going on to than just to simply arrive back at that point. Yeah, I, I could have used one more issue or maybe one less issue. I don't know. I, I don't know which way, but it could have either been tighter or a little bit extended. But it, yeah. I, yeah. it does sort of make an amount of sense that like the question isn't like in my very limited uh, idea of the character, but it's it's not somebody who is fighting against you know a bad certain person, right? It's a, it's a Ditko you know, meta theoretical thing, right? Like the question and it was, he was, I, I think forget, he's like Dadaism or whatever he was really into at the time. I forget what, um, libertarianism. He has a, <laughs> yeah. Dick Foss, he was an, an objectivist. Yeah. Like, like Ayn Rand. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess that that type of ending for this story does make sense in, in my mind, um, for my understanding of that character, even though I would like for there to have been more of a, maybe a narrative thing, right? Like a Yeah, and it does make kid. sense just in the um, kind of the wider setting, the, uh, the, the, the lesson that, oh yeah, we have to keep on fighting against evil and just like the protesters are trying to do and everything. Um, so that all fit. I, I just, because of the setup and the mysticism, I thought there was going to be more of that. Like, kind of like there was in the Denny O'Neill, um, Dennis Cohen question series. Right. Right. Hmm. I'm not sure yeah. if that sounds disappointing to me or not. I'm not sure if I'm disappointed in it or not. Like, I have really enjoyed the journey. I don't love the wrap-up. And I think I would have a totally different perspective on it if... I wasn't reading it in the middle of these protests that feel almost shoehorned into this story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're not totally out of place, but it just, it was just weird. And maybe See, that's and just all on me. Yeah, it's interesting. That part, that didn't bother me at all. That that a little bit actually, for me, worked because I was like, all right, yeah, come on, question this. I really like that this is set like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and And he's going to be that's his world is very much like you said, Jeff, in the fighting societal evils and that kind of thing. I mean, that's, that's why Moore turned the question into Rorschach in his version. Um, Cause that's where he's based right in the streets. And what was Moore's, uh, ver- what was his version? What was that? Uh, Batchman, I think it was called. Yeah. 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 Swiss Army Men? I don't know, something like that. Roman, that was some yeah. of your best acting I've ever seen. That was great, uh, like, um, you know, general confusion and actual attempted learning. <laughs> so then what's our score for the issue and the miniseries? Gosh, I would I would give this issue probably a six, and I would give the series probably a seven and a half or an eight. Yeah, I think I'd give, I'd give the ser- overall series an eight, and I think this issue I would give probably a 7.5. Okay. Um, well, gosh, isn't that just bananas? That's just bananas to me. That, uh, Jeff Lemire, what an amazing writer. I love what, how versatile his writing is, right? Like we got Black Hammer, we got The Question, we got Sweet Tooth, we got, yeah. you know, like all these different things and he does a thing really well and he also chooses to not stick to that only thing. Like that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and, and it never, this series never, it never occurred to me that, oh, this is Jeff Lemire writing this. Like sometimes it does with some of his writing. Yeah, I, I of the two issues that I read, there was a sort of like negative nihilism within those first two issues that is, is generally not present in my mind in his work. Yeah, yeah. So I think he did a good job of channeling Ditko's kind of r- concepts there. I thought he did a really good job channeling the Denny O'Neill too, mm. just yeah. just kind of uh, tonally. And it, it helps that it's the same artists, but yeah. Um, yeah, it made me want to go back and reread that old run. Me too. Yeah, I want to reread all those issues. And I think that it probably is like it's going to come out as a hardcover. And I think it's going to be a beautiful thing because I, I think that the art throughout it is a pretty incredible thing. That was the main reason I wanted to be reading through those at this point was just really digging the art. Yeah. Um, hey, Django, you are fresh off of an opinion. Uh, last week, we read a Hickman book and you said you fucking hated it. I did. <laughs> And now we're I'm on, not going to apologize for it. I would oh, never. Wow. What, but now what? that I, now that we've got you on camera as being on record as fucking hating Jonathan Hickman, um, did you read X Men Eleven? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, that was just I an oversight. Fucking hated it. No, I. <laughs> what uh, what what issue did you hate, Django? I didn't like Decorum Number Four. I've liked the series. Oh. But I didn't like Decorum number four kinda... either. I just think that your your take on it was so strong and so understandable as well. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I I I do love the ferocity of your take. So. At some point, I was like, I'm gonna stop trying to like this and just give in to the hate. No, I totally valid, man. I was that was that was that was Jeff as far against the wall of being forced to like a Hickman book as he's ever been. Like I'm on record. Right, I, I just... said I love it all. <laughs> I get it. Please let me go. Um, more infographics. Um, so Put them Empire, in English. <laughs> X-Men number 11, uh, Empire, tie-in, kind of. This Empire, X-Men 10 and 11 has been really interesting because it has only very tangentially tied into this Empire event. They have a Krakoan base on the moon where Cyclops lives. That's where a bunch of this Empire stuff is happening. So there was a fight on the moon that made them be like, oh, we should go fight that island on Earth. So in this issue, a bunch of the bad empire uh, Kotati that Roman is on record is always hating and not liking. And it's just glad that they finally showed their true villainous colors. And um, they're coming to fight. And this is primarily a battle issue, but it is framed around being Magneto-centric but R- Django, what's really cool about this issue, I got, I got to tell Django about this. I'm really I'm excited. Ready. And you, you'll be the proxy of the listeners. The first four pages of this are a very strange out of place sequence with a couple of the kids on the island running into the summoner that we saw in issue like two. Oh, the totally uh, white person with black with the, markings with on With the him? black glyph on it. I and think I've seen them somewhere he invites one of the kids to play this weird game that has these like very dark adult overtones to it. 
Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And then, um, then that's the end of that scene because those Kotadi start coming to the island and we don't get closure on that scene ever. That's going to tie into the Ten of Swords event and like the summoning. But it was a nice way of, I do like that this book, 11 issues in, there's been like a lot of singular issue stories, but they have seeded a lot of things that are going to come to play later on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm on record as loving books where stories are allowed to imply and then come back later on. So that is cool. But what is really cool about this is this starts off with a double page write-up and it is a report to the quiet council from the captain commander. And it's basically a meeting that the quiet council had at some point. But at one point they're talking about um, enhanced combat techniques and they talk about the quorum had a prolonged and rather interesting conversation about, about how to combine mutant powers to be more powerful you know in the mm. way that like for a long time it's just singular but in the way that the five can reincarnate x-men that's it's a, like taking the fastball special exactly and applying it to power sets and the and the five is basically the the fastball special but doing it in a way where they're growing bodies and storing consciousness in it and making sure that no mutant will ever die it's the knuckleball exactly and they're saying, like, we talked a lot about trying to combine different mutant powers, and we sort of used Magneto's power as a basis for that. As stated above, the plan is our, has our highest recommendation, asterisk. I've also attached the Magneto combinations to this file for the council to review, is how it ends. And then we just get this, it just goes into, like, Magneto chilling in his room. Roman, I love the shot where it shows his wall, and it has three Magneto helmets. It has the pink and purple one. It has the all-white one. It has the black and white one. Yeah. And I was like, I forgot how amazing the pink and purple Magneto costume is. Yeah, the original. And I and I don't remember a black one at all. Where'd that come from? That's like some X-Force style stuff. It's in the last number of years. Okay. Like Donnie Cates? Um, that's even more recent, actually. I can picture on the covers in the last like two years. But stuff that I wasn't reading. Um, but... But anyway, they, they're like, hey, man, there's a bunch of crazy shit going on. We need your help, Magneto. You're going to come help us. He's like, all right, cool. I might even wear my old clothes. So he like does this awesome <laughs> shot of like getting suited up in his pink and purples. I'm not exactly sure what the physics of how he's putting his clothes on here are. Yeah, like I, don't, I don't know what his fists. <laughs> it's just sort of swarming around his body. He uses the like the cuckoo, the cuckoos, the cuckoos, the cuckoos. Thank you. Um, to... <laughs> hook up with a couple different uh x-men and he gets a hold of magma who because krakoa is an island so it's linked into the planets like veins in the form of like magma and Mm -hmm. you know underground tunnels magma the x-men finds like a bunch of like liquid iron and has a volcano erupt it and then iceman goes to cool it all so it creates all these like dagger eye like frozen eyes in the atmosphere that he then just like fucking ravages everyone with like it's just this like no questions asked like omega level mutant stuff that's the fuckball special is what it was the fuckball special and it's it's really cool i just loved like oh cool like this is all kind of just like a follow-up to that memo about combining mutant powers in different Mm -hmm. ways and they did it in a really cool like yeah we can use the earth's core to shove out of volcanoes and then cool it. And then Magneto can make millions of iron daggers and destroy everyone. Yeah. And I love the way that he's leading this and telling Iceman and Magma to do these things, but, but he's just so casual about it, like giving them orders basically, but he's just like, you know, (laughs) and then when he finally takes out the main bad guy at the end, and that's a beautiful sequence too, because he just keeps on drawing dragging down bigger and bigger man-made satellites and dropping it on the guy <laughs> this guy is like i'm gonna destroy you you're the meat you know like that feeds our entire race he's like then fight me and uh Magnus says i already have and it's just these two pages of these shots like a full page of four like you know horizontal shots and everyone is just a new satellite being exploded on top of him because he's just throwing satellites down from space on him it's it's very cool. And that is all sort of centered around a narrative being told by Exodus, who used to be a bad guy mutant, who's talking to a bunch of kids and he's talking about like what makes a hero and it's like self-sacrifice and willingness to help. And they're like, so, you know, who's your hero? What's your hero's name? And all these kids start chanting Magneto's name. So there's like this weird, like 
<laughs> Magneto has been playing a really weird role on the island this whole time of this like he's really celebrated as a hero there um even more so than charles i think so th that's very interesting so it's just aided in the whole mystery of what's going on and uh was an awesome story to just show mutants interacting in a cool way so is there a mutant who can do things like uh metamorpho from the dc universe just come be a different element yeah because if there is then they could they could be generating iron yeah, for Magneto to use. Also, couldn't Magneto, since we know that he can, uh, there, there must be some amount of iron in adamantium because he was able to pull Wolverine's bones out. Mm -hmm. Couldn't he make like the fastest of the fastball specials with Wolverine, just like mind control, throwing him throwing through him. people, sure. like throwing through Fin Fang Foom? I think that they probably had a lot of fun in the writer's room being like, all right, for the next week, we just have to come up with as many cool ways that X-Men are going to be able to interact with one another and make sure it's cool. Make sure it includes like four X-Men and right. just go wild. Yeah, and they build up to it because when they first start the battle, Magneto's got some, just some iron, like ball bearings and stuff he's throwing around and they build up to this more and more cool Magneto things. Oh, and at the end, I like the, the little detail that... Um, he tells one of the cuckoos to um, apologize to one of the other mutants for stealing her satellites, but also tells her, tell her to go ahead and forward payment for the weather satellites to the respective governments. And she asks, what about the military ones? And his reply is, you mean the ones we're not supposed to know about? Well, if asked, tell, them, tell those, those governments we have no idea what they're talking about. I just like <laughs> so those little awesome. details. Yeah, it's just like, well, we're not supposed to know about these rule-breaking, you know, war satellites. So how about if they ask for money, we'll say we don't know either. Like, it's fucking good. I really like that, like, in this, in this series, his role on the island that um, he's a hero and a leader. And I like that, to go back to the original parallel, um, paralleling that with, like, uh, Malcolm X, who... Yeah. has been portrayed in his life and even now as a villain or a hero, depending on which people you're talking to. Yeah, because he was an extreme hero. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so are they going to change his name to Magmebo? Um, Magneto X is what it's going to be. Because he's throwing I, magma? Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> Magmedo, that's very good, bud. Um, I love that Lineal Francis Yu has been the artist on this book for like all of the main series issues as well, because there's a real visual through line throughout so anyway uh, i would give this one an 8.5 loved it for yep. a book that was tying in with an event comic that i wasn't reading nice work yeah i, I agree and 8.5 sounds good to me i could have really used some hickman that i liked this week but i forgot to bring it home it was good i don't know if you would have liked it a lot of charts not no charts actually <laughs> so jonathan hickman putting the book back in comic book yeah, I mean, he, I get it though. Um, that Texas blood, that Texas Man. blood, Texas blood. I thought, Roman, and, and tell me if you agree, I felt like maybe I was just reading a book by Ed Brubaker here. Yeah, that, that is, that is the feel. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the pacing, the characterization, I mean, the situations. Course, yeah, the situation. I mean, all of it. Yeah. And isn't, um, and Jacob Phillips had done some of the criminal run, didn't he? He did uh, some colors on oh, some of the colors. criminal stuff. Okay. Um, but Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips are doing this kind of crimey, slow boil. Like you, you can almost hear the, the bubbles at the bottom of the pot starting to rattle <laughs> at this point in number three. Um, and we get just broken people from a small town dealing with this guy who tried to leave and he's, he's just back for his brother's funeral to take care of his affairs. But unfortunately for him, his affairs include uh, owing money to some cowboy gangsters, some, some cowboy gangsters who have very nice shirts, by the way, <laughs> and a really cool bolo tie. Um, Can you show me the shirts, Django? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing one right now. I Jeff. know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, that uh, it's just like a straight up oh, yeah, cowboy like shirt, that. That and he's cool got shirt. he's got this yeah. really good, um, like golden cow skull bolo tie, which I yeah. would kill a man for. Yeah, that's a sweet bolo. Well, I bet this guy probably, probably oh, kill man. a man for that it. That was like yeah. the worst 
line I've ever heard Roman say, oh, that's what? a sweet bolo. <laughs> like, uh, that's the worst line? I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> it Dude, just sucks good, to hear from a friend. <laughs> uh, there's, there's like a, a kind of traitorous femme fatale. Yeah, it's just got everything that I love about this kind of story. Um, it's, it's like a crime story that you would expect in New York City, but it's set in the Wild West in modern times. And that just, that tickles me in all the right Duffy spots. Yeah, and it's even got, like, see, like there's two pages that are silent where the, it's such a great, like, Western type scene, but it's with a, a modern truck and it, our hero gets dropped off and he's waiting and this truck comes barreling up to him and stops, like, a couple feet from hitting him and he doesn't even flinch and yeah. it's, it's just a great <laughs> a great scene there's even um, that one this one character fred that picks him up in his hotel room that I, I kept on thinking it doesn't look like him but i kept on thinking boy that's that's like the weird little role that uh, like a young harry dean stanton would have played yeah can you yeah. Can you consult your Duffy spots and tell me if this is the best crime book coming out right now? Man, right this minute? Is there another crime book coming out? Like, Pulp, Pulp knocked this out of the park, but that was a one-shot. Yeah, yeah. And this Criminals is on hiatus, right? Or between arcs? Yeah, between series. This is right, right there on par with Criminal, which I think is one of the very best crime stories that ever comes out. You still reading Stray Bullets? Uh, I've got a few issues. One came out this week, and right. I haven't read it because I'm not positive that I read the last two issues. That's one that I have a complex relationship with because it's not only is it a crime book, but it's just a super downer. That's John time. Layman, right? Yeah. The chin yeah. No, 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 no. It's not John Layman. It's uh, David Lapham. David yeah. Lapham. Right. Who similar name, similar name. Wrote some of the most messed up crossed stories right. and just knows how to get under your skin and, and make you sad when you read a comic. And I, I'd rather be bummed than sad, but yeah, same, <laughs> same kind of thing, like super good level of crime and dirt and sweat and meanness in this series. I, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, what do you give it? I give this issue, I give this issue a gooey duck. Oh, Roman, do you approve of gooey ducks? Do, do any of us, does anyone but Roman have gooey ducks? His just shot out of his body real fast and went into me, and now I'm shooting it back at him. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's all good. I like it. <laughs> and that's all good. <laughs> and I like it. Um, yeah. I I'm going to give it a 10. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that I have a single complaint about this comic. Damn. It's favorite book of the week? I mean, it's, I don't think I would give it. You gave, you're giving it a higher score than Three Jokers? I am. And I wouldn't say that you should buy this instead of Three Jokers. I'm just saying that. Because we uh, need the money. <laughs> well, no, like I, I, can, I can poke some holes in Three Jokers. I can find a couple of things that turn me off a little bit. And I don't find that in this at all. Roman, what do you <laughs> I, I, I give it a, I give it a 9.5. because. Thank I you did, for being I, reasonable. I did like Three Jokers more. And it, I know this is this is just me because I'm dumb, but I'm still confused in <laughs> Texas blood. Um, like who? I mean, I mean, our main guy whose name I forget, whose brother got killed. I mean, there. I mean, his dad is the sheriff, right? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, so. <laughs> no, that's not their dad. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm just that it was their dad, crazy. but then at this issue there was some references. I was like, wait, so that's not his dad? Okay, I'm I don't just, think it's his dad. I'm just still confused on some of the relationships and things in the book, but that's like my only complaint. And I feel like it's just cause I'm not reading carefully enough. That's my relationship with life as well. <laughs> General confusion about relationships. Yeah, man. Any book where the main character gets his nose broken every few panels. <laughs> that's like an automatic seven or eight for me. Well, that's a really good segue into Mega Man Fully Charged by, from Boom Studios, written by A.J. Marchicello and Marcus Reinhardt, with art by Stefano Simone. It's hard to talk about this one objectively. <laughs> um, 
I really like, I really, so here's, hey, everyone, here's the thing about me. I like some video games. I like a lot of current video games, like Bloodborne. I play, I've put more time into Bloodborne in the last three years than I've put into anything in the entire world, probably. Have more you played than, the, uh, that Texas Blood video game? Yeah, it got really bad scores, though. Um, <laughs> My nose is broken again. <laughs> um, but, but Mega Man X is probably my favorite like replayable childhood game you got Mega Man x you got tony hawk you know it's the skate or die skate or die is a big one position pole position i didn't actually play because it frankly it was from a console that i didn't want to uh um that's the racing tune but Mega Man fully charged so okay so important thing to discern um Mega Man and Mega Man x are two different franchises um, Mega Man X is the hip, cool one. Mega Man is the slightly more childish one, but still very, very awesome. I prefer Mega Man X. Also, the gameplay mechanics of Mega Man X, I think, are far preferable to Mega Man. Although Mega Man, like mechanically, is more difficult. It's much more rooted in having to like time. It's like Mario, but ten times harder. Like jump through the things at the right time, shoot the guy from the same. Sp- like very difficult. With Mega the Man cheat X- code Justin Bailey. Yep. I knew a guy named Justin Bailey. Um. I just got, hey, everyone, while we're recording this, just got a text message from Ryan Russell, who was a guest on the podcast earlier this very day. And it says, we're in the hospital, nothing tonight, just chilling and eating mints. I would think tomorrow afternoon or night at the earliest for anything. Hey, Ryan, Jackie, our love is with you. You're going to make it through this. You're going to be amazing parents, and we're proud of you both. Tell little little Django to take her time. Yep, take (laughs) her time. Um. We got a big box of crab plushies all waiting for her. I oh. hope her hands don't smell like crab. <laughs> so this is like a, a hip reimagining of the Mega Man, which I don't like as much as Mega Man X, but I still have a huge fondness for the character. I had a cartoon show that I loved. Just a big fan of it. Uh, Justin flipped through it, and he's like, oh, good spoiler page. And I was like, don't tell me. Oh, wait, spoilers. I probably know what it is. It's probably Proto Man showing up. And, of course, it was Proto Man showing up. It's like a futuristic techno world where there's been like a war and robots versus humans and Mega Man is a robot boy, kind of like Astro Boy. And it seems like his memory has been repurposed because he maybe played a part in this war and he didn't remember it, but this bad robot showed up and made him sort of remember some of those memories. Dr. Light is in it, but he's much more handsome. Less of like um, a Santa Claus and more of like a sexual Santa Claus, you know? So... so dr light played by roman statler exactly exactly you know almost braided you know it's like klaus version of santa instead of the other one i liked it because i like Mega Man. i'll keep reading it it's the kind of thing that i could i could see myself getting three issues in and then maybe dipping off because the nostalgia would wear off i like the story i wish that they would do a Mega Man x story because it is an inherently like darker more mature story but if I'm reading a Mega Man comic, which is based on a video game from my childhood, I don't really need adult grim and gritty. But uh, Mega Man X has a nice sort of like post-apocalyptic thing going for it and um, some sort of time travel elements that I, I really dig. And that's not as present in the original Mega Man stuff. The character design is very different. It's like a kind of thin manga looking Mega Man instead of, you know, like a, a more Astro Boy classic looking Mega Man is, is probably who the art design was actually originally based on. And and this one is definitely not um, interesting stuff. If you remember Mega Man, it's better than it should be. It's better than it had any right to be. Archie Comics was putting out a Mega Man comic. Um, Forever, right? Yeah, but they also were doing these big quarterly ones while we've been at the new store. And like Braden and I talked about it on a couple podcasts and they would come out like every three months, but they would be oversized. ones. It was, it was uh, like Mega Man Gigamix or something like that. Is maybe cooler than that. Whereas that other one was a little bit closer to the actual original energy of the Mega Man game. And again, neither of those are Mega Man X, which I love. So I would give this one a 6.5. I think it is good enough to be carried by more than simply nostalgia. Well, listen, I'm going to put my, what, my fade, in, you fade seem, in your you hands. Seem dis- hey, you seem distracted. Is everything all right, big guy? Yeah, I... Oh, bud, you've got your yeah. sheepish tone on. <laughs> yeah. I said Justin Bailey was a Mega Man cheat code, but it's a Metroid cheat code. Oh. And now That's I know you're just going to edit this out and make me look like a chump. 
Um, I mean, that's a cool thing. You know, I've never played Metroid or Super Metroid. I love Metroid Prime, the GameCube ones, but I've never done the Super Metroid thing. But Mega Man X, which was also a Super Super Nintendo game, but I've been playing that. I, I bought like the PlayStation port of that. I play Mega Man X often. That's a game that I will just sit. If I'm stressed out, I'll sit and play Mega Man X all the way through start to finish and just start back over. It's like peaceful wow. muscle memory stuff. Love it. Let's talk about the Daredevil this. annual. Eat it, little Jeff. I, I eat my butt. <laughs> <laughs> rim my sphinx <laughs> um <laughs> not everything needs to be shortened sphincter should always be a full word yeah yeah sphincter i hardly even know her um but i didn't read daredevil annual because i elected to read lock and key in pale battalions number one thinking that it would be uh not thinking that everyone would read daredevil and thinking that Django would for sure read lock and key but as it stands maybe both of you but at least roman has read the daredevil annual Oh, I read it. Tell me oh, about it, okay. gentlemen. Roman, yeah. that's that you you talk about it. I don't have a copy in front of me. But. Oh, you know, I just realized that on the cover it says it's, it's a great cover and it says uh one more today cuz the DDs are are DDs Daredevil's chess logo for day. Today. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. nice. It's almost a t- it's pronounced a like today. Gets a 10 just for that. Oh, look at that. He <laughs> threw that gooey duck back at me. And <laughs> Um, gooey duck hunting has to mean something guys we're yeah, not hunting them so. they're finding us uh, you know this oh was... man okay 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 what? What? <laughs> okay side note i just had an idea when the world is safe again we should go to one of the beaches in washington a couple hours away and go gooey duck hunting as like a bonus content for the podcast because it's been going on for this long if we could video record the three of us, like, using shovels to try and catch gooey duck. Has anyone ever gone gooey duck hunting? No, yeah, I've seen it happen. I, I've done it. I did it as a little boy, so I only vaguely remember, like, shoving shovels on the ground and then squirring away, and you have to, like, chase them. And, and grab um, them by the tongue. It would be amazing to try and record a bunch of very awkward indoor boys <laughs> trying to hunt gooey ducks because we always say gooey ducks on a podcast. Oh, it got it me will mad. happen. Um... <laughs> Listen, episode 250, I bet it'll be safe to go places in 250. Yeah, That's like yeah. a year from now. And, and we'll have to decide, well, will we use shovels? Will we actually use a clam gun where you, you shove it in the sand and bring up a whole section of sand with the gooey duck in it, hopefully? We'll, I think we'll, we'll bring br- a clam gun for backup. We can, do, we cool. can get a clam gun as a tax write-off, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. We if just got to start for... our – we'll start a Patreon for uh, clam digging with the boys. You, you guys have to eat it, though, because I got to admit, I like catching clams and gooey ducks and stuff. I, I hate the way they taste. I don't think I could eat a clam as big as a gooey duck. but I don't think <laughs> I could either, but I love clams, like manila clams or going mm. down to Taylor Shellfish Farms. Sam and I, in like midway through the pandemic, went down to Taylor and got a huge amount of clams and baked them. Nice. It was amazing. I love them. Wow. So Daredevil, what more today? Yeah. One more today. Oh, that's, I completely forgot about Daredevil. Um this was cool because it's because it's yeah exactly this is cool because it's an annual that actually is important and matters to the main series and it's going to yeah. affect things greatly from now on really yeah they should have gotten a better for artist for reals um, oh i like the art i flipped yeah, I, through I, I it and didn't read it but i was like i don't know it doesn't look like it's consequential and now it turns out it's consequential <laughs> yeah i like i like the arts too because at some points it kind of looks miller-esque at some points it looks kind of like Gene Colon esque, so both mm-hmm. classic Daredevil artists. Hmm. Um, basically, it's that Mike Murdoch, who's Matt Murdoch's brother, who originally was just a, a false identity that Matt made up in the early 70s, I think, to kind of get him out of jams occasionally. He pretend to be his his long lost his long lost twin brother, who Corey and Trevor, who yeah. showed up in the Charles Soul run. Yeah, and I think Charles Soule brought him back for real as an actual character. Um, and I didn't realize he's still around now, apparently. Um, and it's just about him. He makes a deal with uh, the Hood and or steals um, a Norn Stone, which, are, which lets him change reality. Mm-hmm. And because he's having like an existential crisis because he doesn't, he has memories, but he knows they're like, false implanted memories because he's not a real boy but now he is a real boy and he uses the the Nornstone to make himself real and have an actual past and he alters apparently alters 
the past of him and Matt Murdock and even their father, because it looks like their father doesn't die quite as early in, in Daredevil's life as he mm -hmm. has typically in the past. Um, and it's just their, their brotherly relationship and the relationship with their father and everything. It's all really well portrayed. Um, the emotions there. Jenga, just, was that hard for you to like grok emotions? No, no I, I, I understood what he was attempting to drive home <laughs> into my heart. I was, I was touched by the scene where um, Mike Murdoch finds out that his brother has been hit by the truck after he was trying to save somebody. And he's pissed at his brother for trying to be such a goody goody and saving somebody, but his dad's got to go to a fight. So his dad leaves Mike at the hospital with Matt um, while Matt is, you know, losing his eyesight and, and going through all that. I, that, that, that scene I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Um, seemed very realistic. My only real complaint about it is that they didn't call it one more today because there's <laughs> Mike Murdoch and Daredevil. Oh, the, yeah, there you go. We even get to see Matt's mother, Matt and Mike's mother, briefly. Yeah, none, none, none lady. Yeah. I and, just wish uh, they had given her a better name than Nun Lady at some point. <laughs> I was trying to remember from the from the Netflix series, what is his mom's name? Jeez, I don't know. It's a good Catholic name, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sets things up that Mike Murdoch, who now has a past, um, his childhood friend is either the son of the owl or an unknown son of the kingpin. I'm not sure which, but they're cooking up a scheme that's going to affect things in uh matt's life and in new york at the end up. of that issue it's it felt to me like it was the son of the kingpin yeah yeah and see I, I wasn't sure i thought it was the son of the owl until that point and then i was yeah. like well and i looked up some reviews and they were also like yeah we're not sure whose son this guy is but i really like the idea of somebody getting all the power in the world to change all of history and they just use it to kind of change them their, their, their own life yeah, and it, and it ends up biting him in the ass because then he mm -hmm. has to go through all this pain, painful memories and everything, and he doesn't exactly seem happy after all this. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I like the art. I like the story. Um, I would, I think I would give it like a seven and a half, maybe an eight. Yeah, I, I would give it, I think I'd give it a nine. It's Chip Zdarsky and... Um, and... G-Duck. <laughs> uh, Dude, chip, I'm, chip I'm so distracted by the I like I'm playing out the us going gooey donkey hunting like thing <laughs> in my head. Like I'm just picturing like, you know, someone like maybe Justin wouldn't want to be on camera, so he'll bring a cell phone and we videotaping it. Actually, you know what? Who would be good about that? We'll get Ron on board. Oh, Ron yeah. will videotape us doing it, and we'll just like go out there knowing nothing. We we won't research it at all. <laughs> And it's just going to be from the ground up, three adult men, one obviously younger and the most attractive, trying to hunt gooey ducks with no informational well, basis for it. We, and I love it. Really? We, I mean, we got to at least like make sure we're in like gooey duck season and the time's gooey not duck coming country. in. <laughs> I'd read that comic, gooey okay, duck okay, country. Okay. Well, I think what would be, yeah, okay, we'll make sure we're doing the right place in the right time, but we're not going to be Googling how to gooey-ilging until we're out there on the the beach with our shovels uh, until until the the uh gooey duck gun or the the clam rifle or whatever Roman just said yeah has yeah. has failed us then we then we're allowed to google it i give it one giga gooey shock yeah. <laughs> clam guns are really cool cuz it doesn't look anything like a gun it's just a big metal tube with a handle and it shoots <laughs> clams out of the front you shove it into the sand and it sucks a gooey up yeah yeah i'm going to call it as easy to find great comics uh, as it is to find gooey ducks with a fucking <laughs> clam gun. Um, all right. Well, so at some point that's going to happen because I'm too in love. There's too many things that we have to do in pandemic time to run a comic shop that I don't love. This is one thing that I would love to do that would be <laughs> as asinine as many of the other things that we're forced to do right now. I believe you guys gave scores. I was checking the email to see if we had any emails, but it turns out it was a last week one. So Okay, I read hmm. Lock and Key in Pale Battalions by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. 
because I read the at least the first couple of issues, but I think the whole first volume of Welcome to Lovecraft Country or Love, Welcome to Lovecraft, whatever that first mm-hmm. volume was. And I thought it was really interesting. I loved the art in it and I liked the writing in it. And I think it's a really cool story idea, even down to the first like recap page of this, which is just like black and white. And it's just a sort of summary of what Key House is. And I think the whole alternate history with which it exists in is awesome. I talked to Django about like how well these stand on their own. He said that they do all feel pretty standalone and you can get into them. And the TV show had come out and I watched the first episode of that. So I thought people would be kind of interested in hearing about it. And I think that this doesn't stand incredibly well on its own. I was excited about the prospect of being able to tell people that like you could just dip into this like I am and really dig it. And I found myself kind of frustrated while reading it because the ages of the characters were really not clear. Uh, the art wasn't quite as I remembered it. The, the ink line has been a little, is a little bit thinner. It's a little bit more like it looked in his uh, rendition of that HG um, Wells Island of Dr. Moreau, oh, which, yeah. is, which is a slightly different art style than when it looked in lock and key. Mm-hmm. And it is more in line with that, but it does still have the like very thick line. I mean, it's thinner than the original thick line, but it's still thicker than a lot of line. And it, it, it's gratifying in that regard. I like the idea of all these keys and what they do. And they all have these unique powers and you put them into doors and they can do different things. The execution of this is, is a little bit off. I don't know. I, it, it maybe feels a little bit like the television show had come out and they've got the crossover that's happening with like lock and key and what is Two. it? And, no, it's something. It's like Umbrella Academy and Lock and Key or something. It's, it's oh, wow. Lock and Key and it's not Umbrella Academy, but it's Sandman. Sandman and Lock and oh, Key right. are doing a crossover. And Joe Hill has been busy running the imprint of DC Comics, Hill House Comics. His attention has been divided. So I was very eager to hear Django's thoughts on this because I, I feel like if you had read this, you would be able to... Uh, elucidate some things in here or brush aside some of my frustrations with some of the confusion I had with it. And I think that you still would be able to because there's items and places and elements that are new to me because it's all new to me for the most part, but it was brought up in kind of a confusing way. And there's like all of the characters I feel like I'm supposed to know, but I don't. And I would like, I think it would be easier for me to not know these characters if I knew that I didn't know these characters. So and as it stands, I don't know if I know them or not because so technically this could be volume six or something. They've put out, so the, the first three volumes, the first three hardcovers, which is a total of six, okay, so six, six issue yeah. series, um, tell the story of Lock and Key. And then they've put out some one shots and short stories and two issue runs since then that all kind of add to the mythology, but don't necessarily tie in other than, oh, that's how that key got up on that shelf before we met the characters in the house. Um, So I don't know that, uh, I don't know that you should know those characters other than maybe they had an appearance in one of these other prequels. I don't know if you ever read like American Vampire by Scott Snyder, but he he did sort of like a main series with Raphael Albuquerque as the artist. But like that series started to slow down more and more. And then he started doing mm-hmm. more small mini series with like Sean Gordon Murphy and other folks. And at some point the main series just kind of stopped and we were just getting like main like tie-ins that kind of enriched the overall story feels a little bit like that's kind of what's happening here I, I think the lock and key mythos is really cool and i really would like to read the main story and i do think it's beautiful and i think the science fiction of it and the time travel stuff is very cool but i i, I do think that as an experiment in just dropping in on a new portion of the story i mm-hmm. don't think that it worked really well for me that way and I, I am very curious to see what a lock and key head would be able to say about this yeah and i'll definitely read it i just I just spaced out and didn't grab it this week for some reason. I don't know. I don't know how I missed it. Cause I was kind of excited to check it out. I, I really like the series. I would put that main series at, in my top 10 comics ever. And, uh, 
I don't know that you need any of the stuff that's come after it, but I've always enjoyed being back in the world. Even the one shot that was just from the dog's point of view, I had a good time reading, which is totally atypical for Django. It's an interesting experiment. Um, and the book, like, yeah, the series overall, like I did dig the first volume or what I remember of reading about it. So I'm um, excited to hear what Django says about it when he does read it. And I, it's definitely not a waste of time, you know, as I get frustrated when I'm like, how much am I supposed to know or not know here? But I did that to myself, having not read the main series here. I would give my experience with this book, like probably like a 5.5 or a 6. Like I, it's, I think if anything, it's just a little bit confusing. And my suspicion is that it might be a little bit confusing, even if you haven't read the main series. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, if you have read the main series. But um, but I think also his he's been running an imprint. He's been planning a crossover with a huge company and he's writing this, like, I, I understand his attention is a little bit divided, so I wouldn't blame him for this being a slightly less optimum version of these lock and key stories he's put out in the past. Well, and this this could easily be tying into the main series a little bit and to the upcoming Sandman crossover. Yeah, you so know? you'll have to so next it, it week just give us a, a rundown. Okay? You got Go. it. You got it. And on that note, I think that we've covered everything we need to cover, except for just how much I love seeing you guys. Roman, you look like there was something else that excited you this week. You got a little bit of emerald in your nose. What else excited me? There was probably something. Oh, I was excited by the uh, the new Junji Ito um, horror collection. Excited yeah, in know, what way? I didn't Explain know if that was your all new stuff or <laughs> were there were reprints in that or what? It, it, it's... Uh, it's a mix it's i mean i don't think any of it's new stuff because you know right right it's new to us some of it um there's a couple paid there's some a section from oh uh no longer his adaptation of no longer human Mm -hmm. that was the most recent thing before this um and there's a short story that i've read in one of the other collections but the other stories were all new to me and it's just a really nice uh really nice package it's got some nice color pages it's got a color fold out of the main character the woman from uh uzumaki and it's it's just a really attractive book the the slip the slip jacket is very nice i mean it's just yeah those it's amazing like how when they started putting those junji ito like hardcover collections out several years ago and they've just sold so well the quality of the binding that has gone up for each of the subsequent volumes because they've just been like, oh, wait, yeah. if we put his name on anything, it will sell a ton. And it seems like everything that's come out has been nicer in production than the last. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was, just, I was just playing chicken with you there. Hey, I'm really excited because today is Saturday. Tomorrow is Sunday. This podcast will be up Monday. But yesterday, when you're listening to this, will have been the comics placed fantasy football very cool draft and is that what you're calling it comics place fantasy football very cool yeah i mean if you look at the app nope. um to <laughs> jenga you don't have the app downloaded nope. so you can monitor my my team after nope. i draft it not at all um i don't believe you <laughs> see uh comics place fantasy football ffl very cool wow django fuck you it's awesome and you're gonna get addicted to it i'm excited to be giving everybody weekly updates on the podcast with how i'm doing on it even though many of our listeners or several of our listeners are in the league itself um but very excited maybe they'll have unfair advantages over me because of how honest i will be about it Django, you just sent me a movie on my phone i did I was wondering what that boy. I'm sure it's from the league and somebody says waiver wire. That's exactly what it is. At some point you just start being able to predict your best friends. You know, it's like, Oh, I've got a video after talking about that. So I'm sure it's about the waiver wire. Listen, I watch it at three in the morning and it's too late to text you. So I got to save them for the next day. How do you pluck out the moments? Where they oh, I just rewind it. And I just, I just record it with, I record my iPad with my phone. Do you watch it's it like on your shittiest, iPad in your bed? Yeah. It's like the shittiest that's way Django, to possibly send you shit. a video. That's the saddest shit. I'm just picturing <laughs> you watching things on your iPad in bed at three o'clock in the morning and no longer you, the man that I thought you once were. Drunking myself <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> um, well, listen, everyone, thank you for bearing with us this week. I keep thinking one of these weeks things are going to go back to normal, but they just don't. So um, maybe we'll see you next time for Teenage Mutant Ninja Podcast or something. I don't know. I'm Django and my hands smell like crab. Still?
I'm, I'm Roman. And the weird thing is now my hands smell like crab. Yeah. Guys, when we do that gooey duck show, we're going to, our whole bodies are going to smell like gooey duck for a week. Dude, I can't wait. We're going to do that. That is going to be a thing. And no one will care about it except for the 12 listeners of the podcast. And they'll be like, holy shit, they did it. They went out and caught gooey ducks. And we'll Those put it on our crazy Facebook. son of a bitches. And uh, I just want us to all be wearing waders. You know, like I want to be wearing the like, you know, the, the, the things that go up from your feet to your underbreast uh-huh. and keep you dry. I'm going to put a gooey duck in your waders. Don't put a gooey duck in my, don't put a gooey duck in my waders. I'm going to, like, that's what I'm making the shop pay for me to have waders for that. Whenever it happens, just creating right. we got like, we got to save up because we yeah, need a clam saying, rifle <laughs> and we need, uh, <laughs> we need some and, waders for Jeff and we and need to wait, be able to reopen the, the store to make money to pay for it all. Yeah. Especially cause they're going to have to be waders that are the CMY, whatever colors. Yeah. Jay was only going to do CMYK waders and it's going to have to fit my, my girth. <laughs> right right so, your thickness i don't know if waiters will be able to fit my thickness <laughs> oh god that line means that we're totally done i'm there's jeff a gooey we'll duck in my week. gooey duck oh, there's a snake in my waiter there's a gooey duck in my waiter and we've got roman as always thanks for bringing us gooey ducks from <laughs> the gooey duck in my clam waiters <laughs> <laughs>